0: going to be a fun one, I think. It's either going to be fun or it's going to be like painful and weird. So either way, it's going to be fun for the audience.
1: <laughs>
0: so that being said, hello and welcome to Supernatural Selection. I'm your host, Kevin Heyman. With me this week is Mike the Skeptic. Mike, how are
2: you? I'm uh, all right, I guess. Yeah.
0: Are you turgid? No, not anymore. Okay, that's good. I was turgid earlier, but I'm better now. And uh, we have Mr. David Davis. David, how are you doing? I am exhausted. Same here. Same Mm -hmm. here.
3: It's going to be fun.
0: This is the perfect uh, physical (laughs) and mental condition to cover our topic tonight. Um. And we'll get into that here in a second. We got a little bit of housekeeping to do. David, we announced it at the end of the last episode. Let's talk about it up front this week. Tell everybody about the zine. Is it zine or zine? I've always heard uh, zine.
3: I've always gone with zine. Okay. Like, he, Would you call
0: it a magazine? No, but, you know, right. English. I,
3: I, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so we talked about it. I went ahead, put in the work to get it up to code and everything like that. Just whatever arbitrary code I felt was important Good. for it. Good. We don't and want OSHA
0: is... coming after us.
3: Exactly. We have railings and everything. Um, but no, uh, the zine page is now up. You can go to supernaturalselectionpod.com slash zines, Z-I-N-E-S, has all the details. And basically uh, for 2024, we are putting together a zine of uh, submissions, art and writing about cryptid encounters. Um, the submission period will be from January to June, that gives me two months to edit it, and then we will run a, we'll probably run a, um, crowdfunding campaign in October just to print up some copies and everything like that, but it is a free zine that everybody will have access to, and, uh, there's all sorts of information on the page, um, I encourage you to read it, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited. This is going to be an interesting chapter for us.
0: Yeah, no, I think it'll be a fun thing to do, a great experiment, and hopefully we can do this every year. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to try to get some art ready to submit to that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can also have multiples of the same cryptid because everybody's going to have a different uh, take on it.
3: Yeah, I imagine what there will be will be... Uh... Like, I, I, obviously, we haven't received a whole lot yet, but, like, when thinking about editing it, I'm like, okay, we'll probably have, like, sections for specific cryptids and everything like that. Uh, I fully expect Mike to draw something.
0: Yep, no, I was going to say, I'm going to make Mike draw one like he used to cover for me with Coda's World.
3: Yeah, oh, like uh, Dead Coda Days. Yeah,
0: (laughs) stick figures, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that'll be fun. Yep, so you can all... shorter URL, you can head to supernatpod.rock zines and uh, you can get there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Besides that, I have a plan to start expanding the scope of topics because we have been very alien centric. Uh, We're going to start covering what I call the wild world of woo. We're going to talk more (laughs) about ghosts and esoteric stuff and uh, this is kind of a start. We're also going to start covering cults more because That's adjacent. They believe in weird shit. So Mm -hmm. that's the plan. We're going to start covering the wild world of woo. And, uh, we more on that as it happens. So this week we're going to do, this is a sequel to our episode on discordianism. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is justified and ancient, the KLF and discordianism. And, uh, our sources for the week are KLF, Kaz, Uh, Yeah, English, KLF, Chaos, Magic, and the Band That Burned a Million Pounds by John Higgs. Fantastic book and very funny.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: The KLF, Beyond the Band That Burned a Million Pounds, uh, New British Canon. It's a YouTube video and it's a great little doc and I got some information from there. And funnily enough, the Wikipedia articles on the KLF, Bill Drummond, and Jimmy Cauty were actually very useful in filling in some of the gaps from my other sources.
3: Which makes a lot of sense, because we're going to see that they are very, like, not part of the system. They don't want to be part of the system.
0: That's very true. They're very, um, discordian.
3: Yeah, and then Wik- uh, Wikipedia articles having details about them... Makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I'm just a little sad that there's not that much information about Jimmy Cotty, but, you know, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. And before we really get started, guys, Mm -hmm. I need to lay a few, uh, I'm going to call ground rules about this one. Uh, First, I'm going to be referring to, quote, magical thinking in this episode. And this isn't directly related to actually performing magic Exactly. Hmm. Magical thinking is sort of a broad term uh, that Alan Moore uses uh, that refers to rituals that a lot of people do in their lives. Like if you quit a job and you burn your uniform or when you hang your discharge papers from the military upside down on the wall, you know, stuff like that.
3: Mm -hmm. Or when you pretend
0: tomorrow won't be soul crushing. Oh yeah. That's that's a powerful ritual right there, buddy. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh it's it's pretty much anything you do that isn't a rational action that you prescribe meaning to and you feel affects you or the outside world. Mike, you get that?
2: Yeah, but I don't know some of those I could describe just, you know, sure. normal things like burning your, you, you know, uniform for a job you quit just cuz you hate it and you want to, yeah. you know.
0: It's but that is still sort of magical thinking. You're not, not, thinking expect, that you're you're not you're,
2: expecting an outcome from no, it. No, but so, it affects
0: you and it's still sort of magical thinking. Eh, so. I wouldn't
2: call it magical thinking. I would call it I would call it uh closure or catharsis.
0: And that still qualifies no, according to it the def- it does according to the definition that i've been given so
2: mm. well, well i think well, magical thinking would be you know ascribing something as you'd get an effect out of it that's not directly tied to your own mind
3: well mm. I, I i have a i think an example of this so um the the penny in your shoe thing wait what yeah so i i don't know why i started putting a penny in my shoe when i find one but I ended up doing it for, like, a long time when I was, like, a teen and early adult. Because my mom used to say, like, "Oh, well, if you find a, a penny, heads up, put it in your shoe, and it gives you good luck.
0: That, okay. And, You're and, on, and I the I just step.
3: So so I ended up having, you know, a penny in my shoe. And didn't really affect anything. It was kind of weird, and I, I think about that now. It's like, oh, well, I don't do that anymore, but for a time it was like, oh, no, I hey, I found a penny, heads up. Might as well keep it because it's good luck. You know what I mean? And keep sure, it no, you.
0: and that, that kind of qualifies. Superstition, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I would say that yeah. qualifies. And again, I realize that this is all kind of broad, but it's one of those weird Alan Moore type terms. And uh, I think it works, especially in, the, um, in this context. And Mike, you'll see what I mean, because the stuff we're going to talk about in here is definitely along the lines of magical thinking. Now, second, a lot of people assign roles to the members of the KLF. Journalists in particular sort of say Caudi is the musician and Drummond is the idea slash frontman. And the idea is vaguely accurate, but broadly it's incorrect. This was a working partnership with both men working equally on both sides. I cannot stress Drummond's musical talent enough, and I can't stress how many weird-ass ideas and actions started with and because of Caudy.
3: Well, I mean, that's how it tends to be in a lot of creative partnerships, too. While each partner may have, like, their niche, it's not like they're locked into those specific lanes either. I mean, look at John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. Or, uh, God... The Monty Python guys is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, like, uh, John Cleese and uh, Graham Chapman would, you know, write like uh, Michael Palin and Terry Jones sometimes and vice versa. And it would be them sending each other up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, it's that kind of thing. Uh, Anyway, I just want people to understand that because of the sheer amount of this that is probably going to deal with Drummond as the narrative goes on. He is the main character. In this, yes. Yes, yes. Third, and this this doesn't get brought up a lot, the KLF would not have become what they were without the input of Cressida Bowyer. That is Jimmy Coddy's first wife. She was the organizational mastermind behind the scenes and supplied designs and choreography for performances and music videos.
3: I also think this is the first time choreography is factored into an episode of the show. <laughs> Actually, no, um, that would have been our Dancing Madness. I was well, no, just about to say. It wasn't planned. It wasn't no, planned. No, no, that so was spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, no, this is exciting. We're, we're getting into planned dance routines.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's exciting. But <laughs> lastly, the KLF is, on the whole, a failure. And the reason I say this is because they set out to do one goal at the heart of everything they were doing. And they completely failed at it. And we'll get into that more as we go. All right. You guys excited? Yeah. Mike? Intrigued. You're turgid. (laughs) No. You shouldn't have said turgid because I'm just going to keep saying it all night. Um, so guys, before we went into all this, what did you know about the KLF?
3: So I know very, very little about KLF, uh, outside of like hearing a couple of songs. So this is kind of like a journey for me.
0: Okay. Mike?
2: Um, so before you started telling me things when you were reading about it. Right. Um, if you were to ask who the, if, you know, a month ago, you had come to me and ask who the KLF was. I'd be like, I have no fucking idea. If you would have said something about Moo Moo Land, I'd have been, okay, I vaguely remember that. Right.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's about it. Yeah. I was... I,
2: and and I always get them confused with, uh, whenever anyone said, would say KLF, I always get them confused with. Uh,
0: the Unbelievable Band? Yeah. EMF? EMF, Yeah. EMF. And, yeah, no, that's understandable. I... Yeah. Yeah. So, the three things that most people know about the KLF are Justified and Ancient, Doctor and the TARDIS, Mm. and the fact that they burned one million pounds sterling in a stone house on the Scottish island of Jura. So... Today, we're going to look at a career and story that sounds like a music report written by Douglas Adams that came to horrible, beautiful life.
2: Beautiful? You
0: sure that's beautiful? Uh, to me, as an artist, yes. <laughs> it right.
2: sounds more like a descent into madness and, you know...
0: That, too. That is a very good point, because I don't... When most people research something, they learn. When I research something, I catch Madness. Well, I mean, them just evolving oh, yeah. into
2: madness, and uh,
0: yes. Yeah. But we're going to see how this all connects to the wide world of woo, and more importantly, Discordianism. So, boys, strap in. This is a weird one.
2: Mm, I hate it when you say "strap in." I always think I'm going to get pegged. You might. <clears throat> I don't want to be pegged
0: metaphorically. No. Well we're going to start with Bill Drummond because that's where the story starts. Uh, Bill was born April 29th, 1953 in South Africa and his parents moved to Scotland when he was still one year old. So as a child, Drummond became interested in art and performance and decided that he would use everything and anything as a canvas and a tool to make art. Oh,
3: I can already tell he's going to be extra. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that that's that's a tall statement from a child. And then just just
3: a, like little five year old like South African Scottish kid like, the whole world's more kind of this.
0: Oh God, Mike, what were you gonna say?
2: Well, well, well one is this? Did he become Flint Glomgold?
0: No, he did not. I know that it sounds exactly like the character Flint Glomgold. <laughs> that's But, but
2: right. two, two did he did he become Banksy? Because that Banksy? also sounds like Banksy.
0: No, but uh. In later years, they work with Banksy in more Mm. recent years. So anyway, uh, now the story really gets cooking when Drummond moved to Liverpool. What
2: is it about Liverpool? I know. Is it just nothing there, I guess? Pretty much. You got to make up your own uh, entertainment.
0: Pretty much. That's why the Beatles were so damn good. So, he moves to Liverpool, and he hooked up with Ken Campbell's Science Fiction Theater of Liverpool in 1976.
2: More nerds having
0: to entertain themselves. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the project he would build sets and props for was Illuminatus. Hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't say that right. Illuminatus! (laughs) If this sounds familiar, this is the trilogy of books written by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea, and helped to popularize Discordianism the Illuminati conspiracy, numerology, particularly about the number 23, and the conspiracy mindset in general, thanks to connections with the JFK assassination. Also, mm. on a side note, the play is almost six hours long. Mm. It was received very well, actually, and some of the actors in it were Bill nye not Bill Nye the Science Guy, but the one from, like, Love Actually, Mm -hmm. and Sylvester McCoy, the Seventh Doctor. And this is the first of our Doctor Who connections.
3: We'll also pretend there isn't an already heavily Discordian bent to a lot of Doctor Who in general.
0: That's true. He's, yeah. Now, being involved in the play turned Drummond onto some of the ideas of the story. What it didn't do was get him to read the books. He'd gotten about a hundred and fifty pages into an eight hundred page series and just sort of gave up, kind of like me with House of Leaves. you know, I read a description of House of Leaves and just decided I wasn't gonna How about <laughs> you you read Mike? the
3: description and you were exhausted. <laughs> I needed I've, to lay I've, down
2: I've, like so uh, uh our Dragon Con group recently was talking about doing a book club and doing a read of House of Leaves as a kind of book club <laughs> thing. And I said, I've, I've always been House of Leaves curious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's how that works. That's how they get you. So when the play made its way to London, Drummond told everyone he was going to step out for a bit for some paint. And then he just bubbered, buggered off back to Liverpool and no one in the play ever saw him again. He pulled a father. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go out for some smokes. The, the, those involved with the play all said that Drummond was brilliant. Driven and really not good at working in systems. (laughs) Now, one thing that's going to pop up a lot in this story is synchronicity. And this is our first one. Watching that London show was a young Jimmy Coddy. He would also not go on to read the Illuminatus trilogy. (laughs) They should
3: print t-shirts that read, I didn't do the research.
0: Yeah. And then I'd wear it. (laughs) Anyway, so this stint was important for Drummond, though. He learned something very important from Campbell, because Campbell had this philosophy. Do the impossible. It's only impossible if you don't try it. And this would sum up everything KLF would eventually do.
3: This is also a very dangerous train of thought for some people, and I expect we'll be seeing an example of this as we move
2: forward.
0: Yeah, it kind of sounds, Mike, back me up, this kind of sounds like every CEO.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't have to try to pick up a train to know I can't do
0: it. Yeah, like that guy that tried to psychically stop a train by standing on the tracks. I would have started with, like, a falling rock.
3: Well, it's also like telling gifted children they can be anything, and then they grow up with depression.
0: Yes. Oh, shut up. That hurt. (laughs) Crippling
2: sense of unfulfilled life. Yep.
0: (laughs) So, back in Liverpool, Drummond would become involved at the local uh, in the local punk scene. He would start a band called Big in Japan that would have mm. members who would all go on to bigger and better things. I mean it was star studded in the in the future they're gonna be stars. Mm. And he would also become manager of two bands. One was the Teardrop Explodes and the other is fucking Echo and the Bunny men. <laughs> Never heard of either of them. Now I heard Echo and the Bunny Men. Mm-hmm. He was managing and releasing material under his zoo records label
3: you know and it's like how am I not already like aware of this all these <laughs> names are bands that I know, but I never connected them is this like a crossover episode what the fuck's going on
0: <laughs> yeah it's kind of throwing back to the old uh mutant hours I guess
3: yeah no this like this could have been like uh we could have done like a mutant hours uh, supernatural selection crossover episode
0: yeah so oh, man. Uh, This is where our magical thinking really starts up. And this is like the first thing that really made me go, what the fuck? So Drummond saw the two bands he was managing as opposites. When you heard the teardrop explodes, his mind conjured up images of hot steamy jungles in Papua New Guinea. Is he Henry Kissinger? (laughs) A little bit. Echo and the Bunny men brought to mind Iceland. And in fact, he imagined Echo as a bizarre ancient pagan rabbit deity, and the band were his minions, the bunny men. <laughs> he had constructed this mad little world around Echo, and he had designed the route of the band's first tour to make the shape of a bunny head when viewed on a map. <laughs> <laughs> so and also rabbits seemed to be a running theme with Discordia. Robert Anton Wilson, particularly, started hearing voices from Sirius after doing LSD and realizing he had the beginnings of schizophrenia. So to keep, to keep himself sane, well, sane for Robert Anton Wilson, he decided it was actually a giant rabbit totem talking to him, pretending to be aliens from Sirius. Now, again, this is only sane for Robert Anton Wilson.
3: I should also note that the Discordian welcome package, I may or may not have been sent by someone who may or may not be affiliated with this particular (laughs) show, may or may not have had a copyright infringing image of Bugs Bunny on it with the Apple of Eris.
0: Yeah, you see what I'm talking about? The rabbit Mm -hmm. is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And come Mm -hmm. on, Bugs Bunny is a patron saint of Discordia.
3: Oh yeah, no. That's (laughs) it. You you mentioned rabbits. Like, oh, no, Bugs Bunny.
0: Yep. Yep. So... And, Mike, I got to hear your response to this whole thing. Uh, his plan was to have each band play in those locations. He would have the Teardrop Explodes play in Papua New Guinea at the exact same moment that Echo and the Bunny Men was playing on the oppo- opposite side of the world in Reykjavik, Iceland. And he would be standing on a manhole cover in Liverpool. And something he never really knew what but he really wanted to make this happen because he was convinced something was gonna happen maybe he'd absorb their energy maybe he'd come i don't know
2: maybe he would just have
0: a big poo maybe that would have been great he's on a manhole cover it's headed to the right place now unfortunately for drummond the leader of the teardrop explodes john cope had become convinced that drummond was the devil and couldn't be convinced to do anything for him now in fact cope wrote a song called bill drummond says about their relationship so in retaliation drummond wrote john cope is dead about shooting john cope in the fucking head
2: okay those was, was way too many drugs going on here like way too many drugs.
0: Still a better working
3: relationship than the Beatles in the late 60s. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's fair. And Mike, I kind of feel like it's less drugs and more mental illness with these guys. Are that Well, no, come on. There's, 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 there's both. Pot maybe, but anyway.
2: Pills maybe. What what year was this? 80s? Uh
0: Yeah. Uh, early uh, late 70s early 80s. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, he did manage to get Echo and the Bunny Men to play Reykjavik, and he did, in fact, stand on the manhole cover in 1983 when it happened, and nothing happened to him, really. A haiku. Band plays Reykjavik. Standing
3: over Liverpool manhole, yet nothing happens. That's beautiful, man.
2: Mm hmm. I can't snap.
0: I can. So. Anyway, eventually those two bands found competent management (laughs) that wasn't drumming. The the insane abandoning wizard person wasn't a good manager. Yeah, Yeah, the one that made all your tours because it made shapes on a map. Yeah. The the living embodiment of fuck it, let's try it. (laughs) Yeah. So Echo and the Bunny Men continue to this day. Meanwhile, the teardrop explode sort of fizzled out in 1982, but they're still considered a founding force in the Liverpool punk uh, punk scene in the early 80s.
3: Ironic. The band imploded, but they had explodes in their name.
0: I know. (laughs) They they pulled like that sub. Oh, anyway, after this, Bill Drummond would move to London and get a job at W.E.A. Records as an A&R guy. You guys know what A&R is?
3: uh not uh like the uh producing like the um like actual technically producing recording uh, and
0: everything actually A&R is called is short for artist and repertoire and what they do is they do talent scouts and work with them to do the best why they would can. you send this insane son of a bitch to recruit people he was driven everybody <laughs> said he was brilliant and driven he, he was driven to an <laughs> asylum daily I, man <laughs> I kind of wish,
3: but anyway, any, anyone who goes with them, you know, they're committed. Oh yeah.
0: So Uh at this time, he also (laughs) did a solo album called the man. Now, having come from the punk scene, of course, this was a folk album. Um, Sure. (laughs) It's considered a masterpiece, but quirky (laughs) as it of course would be now during his time as an A&R guy. Drummond discovered a band called Brilliant, which included, as a member, Jimmy Cauty. Mm. Now, the story of this is great. He thought for sure that Brilliant was, well, brilliant, and they'd be the next big thing. So he pumped a few hundred thousand pounds of the company's money into marketing and recording these guys. Success, they assumed, was at hand and the record went over like a fart after Taco Bell.
2: Wet, messy, and with chunks of tomato. God damn it. I was going to say kind of running down your leg and <laughs> before you could get to the bathroom.
0: <laughs> An awful disappointment. Now, after this, Drummond decided he'd had enough. So on his 33rd and a third birthday, you know, like the records. Oh, Jesus Christ. He, I'm telling you, he put out a press release a press release saying he was leaving the music industry to live an artist's life and become a novelist. The fucking balls
3: on this guy. I'm just <laughs> impressed, man.
0: Yeah. And that lasted three whole months. So <laughs> of while walk- what? Uh, of <laughs> course it did. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted as long as it would have for me. Once the food ran out. So <laughs> while walking on a sunny new year's day in 1987, Drummond was inspired and he suddenly decided he wanted to cut a hip hop album. <laughs> <laughs> and since the most important lesson he'd ever learned was nothing was impossible, he called the only person who could help him make it happen. He called Jimmy Cawdy.
3: Now, 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 first of all, never encourage a gifted child because this is what happens. <laughs> Second, if I had a dime for every punk-adjacent personality who transitioned to hip-hop in the 1980s, I'd have about 30 cents. Because we'd be yeah. talking about Debbie Harry, D. Ramone, and now Bill Drummond.
0: You know, that's way more than you'd <laughs> think would happen. Right? Yeah. So, now that he's fully entered the story, so let's talk for a little bit about Jimmy Coddy. Mm-hmm. So, Jim was born December nineteenth, 1956, on the Wirral in northwest England. That's a peninsula. Mm. Now, another talented artist, Jimmy, at the age of 17, drew two amazing posters. One for Lord of the Rings and the other for The Hobbit. I'm going to include an image of the the Lord of the Rings poster in the doc because you need to see this thing. When I was 17, I was trying to draw nipples on naked anime chicks, and Cody fucking did this. Now, imagine the nipples on Gandalf there. No. Mike, do you see <laughs> the... Nipped off. Do you see the poster? Yes. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jimmy go, would go on to be in a band called Angel 1 through 5, where he'd meet his future wife, uh, Cressida, before joining up with Brilliant. I really wish there was more information on Cody's early years, but he is, after all, the more quiet of the two. He is, though, by all accounts from everyone, a musical fucking genius, like a virtuoso.
3: Save some goddamn talent for other people, you son of a bitch.
0: I know. God damn it. So <laughs> Before we continue with the true madness of this story, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, so we will be right back.
3: Hey there, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably into cryptids and monsters. Well, if you have a creative spark, you can always join us in our first ever Supernatural Selection Zine Project. For 2024, we are doing Cryptid Encounters, where you can draw or write a encounter with a cryptid of your choice, and we'll put it in the zine. The current submission window is from early January to late June. If you're interested in finding out more, you can always go to SupernaturalSelectionPod.com zines. That is Z-I-N-E-S. Now back to the show.
0: And we're back. All right, guys. How are we all feeling about the KLF at the moment? Did you ever see that Weird Al
3: biopic that was on the Roku channel? Because this feels exactly like that.
0: (laughs) Yes, actually, we did.
3: I'm waiting for Drummond to get into, like, a gunfight with a drug lord.
0: You know, that would be the least surprising thing in this story. (laughs) Right. Mike, how about you? Uh, I don't know. Undiagnosed mental illness is a hell of a thing. Yes. All right. You all right? Yeah. All right. Well, when we last left our story, Drummond had contacted Caudi about cutting a hip-hop record. There were two reasons for this. First, as I said before, uh, Caudi is a stone-cold genius when it comes to not just music, but art in general. Second, out of everyone he'd worked with, Cody was the one person who was on the same wavelength. Mike, you probably have some idea what I mean here. Like, even when we disagree, we're kind of there, right? We're on the same wavelength. Sure hurting my feelings here i'm kidding Um, (laughs) wow
3: wow
0: that was painful (laughs) you know we're best friends we get along real damn well so yeah but yeah well let's let's move on from that
3: (laughs) well no no it's fine like no mike's like no it's it's unspoken yeah like it makes sense yeah
2: he gets it so, I just thought you were going somewhere with that. No,
0: just that you and me <laughs> are on the same wavelength on a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, we finish ideas. each other's sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. So now in the pitch, Drummond mentioned that the name for their hip hop group was going to be the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo. What the fuck? <laughs> now that name's name comes from a splinter faction of the Illuminati in the Illuminatus trilogy they were one of the first sects of discordians and the illuminati had the mc5 do the do the song kick out the jams as a public slight towards them <laughs> it's a fan- it's just
3: all, i just i love that there's all these different like stupid fucking operations going on because you have all of these people who are all part of this fake dumb satire religion who are just doing whatever the fuck they want
0: yeah Yeah, and it has affected, and the bad thing is, all this probably is what got Donald Trump elected, so fuck them. (laughs) God damn it. Fuck me and my fakie religion. (laughs) So, after hearing the justified ancients of Moo Moo, Cody was immediately on board. After all, he'd witnessed the six-hour beast that was the Illuminatus. He got the joke. They got to work immediately. It's
3: just wild how many weird-ass influential people just click with this stuff.
0: Yeah. Mike, you'd probably hate these books. Because on some level, I kind of hate these books, but they're fascinating. So the product of this labor was a single called All You Need Is Love, Hmm. which was pretty much literally drumming, rapping over the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. (laughs) With a drum beat mixed into it.
3: So, Uh, I'm sorry, that's just really funny. Yeah,
0: so Drummond and Caudi were keeping true to the idea of using anything as art. That is up to and including taking whole goddamn songs and just rapping over them. This would be their first real attempt as a middle finger to the music industry that they had come to despise while working in it. You know, this is also incredibly fucking punk. It kinda is. So they were also working like Discordians. This is almost a page out of operation, mind fucking away with culture jamming. They were destroying mm. corporate sponsored work while keeping a studio in the basement of an abandoned mansion that used to be uh, belong to slavers. They were squatting the entire time they <coughs> were making music. <coughs>
3: So, so, presumably, these are two men who could afford to rent a place, but the squatting is to make a
0: point. Well, at first, no, they couldn't. And then, once they could, oh. they just didn't, because fuck it. Mm. And also, just, just a note that's not in the outline, the mansion was called Transcentral. There's a lot of reference <laughs> to it. There's a lot of reference to it in their music. There's actually a song called <laughs> "Last Train to Transcentral," so the, that needs to be a T-shirt. D- what "Last Train to Transcentral"? L- Last Train to Transcentral. It might be. I don't know, but probably the number of references to the Illuminatus trilogy and accidentally to Discordianism in their music was staggering. It would it would later come back to bite them in the ass.
1: <laughs>
0: Anywho a series of similar songs were released as singles, followed up by the album 1987, What the Fuck is Going On. One song in particular, The Queen and I, was a straight-up reworking of ABBA's Dancing Queen.
3: Now, now, if you told me this was a Neil Cicerega uh, project, I'd believe you.
0: I'm not sure who that is.
3: Um, so, um, he, you know, creator of like Potter Puppet Pals. Oh, yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He he did the, the mouth trilogy. Okay. It was just mashup songs. Yes. Okay. I'm Um, familiar. It it sounds exactly like one of Neil Cicerega's
0: albums. No, I get it. It it does sound very, very much like a joke. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I told you that story about the album coming out and the, them rapping over music was so I could tell you this one about ABBA this is the beginning of what we can call the duo's magical thinking, period. Oh, God, now there are two of them. Yes, it's multiplying. So Drummond had already been on this kick, but this is where it starts involving the media. And the media mistakes this for carefully planned manipulation of the press. Gentlemen, it is not. (laughs) Drummond and Caudy would literally have an idea fucking go through with it, and then just live with the consequences. It's actually so much more pure than most people think
3: it is. Like, like very much no fucks given, which I can respect, in that I tend to give too many fucks.
0: Right. So, after they received a letter from ABBA's lawyer telling them, you need to fucking stop selling this and destroy every copy, Drummond and Caudy Along with the journalists to document it, made their way to Stockholm, Sweden, with every single copy of their album, to meet with Abba at their headquarters to plead their case. <laughs> they were sure they could get them to come around to their thinking that they could now, all now, make Now, do
3: money. you think? Do you think Abba's lawyers also wear jumpsuits?
0: I can only imagine. <laughs> yes, they
2: have to. It's in their contract.
0: Yes. Now, they also had a gold record made to present to ABBA (laughs) as a token of good faith. So, after getting to Stockholm, the jams found that ABBA were out of the country. They were actually in London, in fact, where they had just fucking come from. So, undaunted, the boys blasted the Queen and I at ABBA headquarters, Say Anything style. (laughs) <laughs> and they gave the gold record to a prostitute that they said kind of looked like she was in Abba. <laughs>
3: either a compliment to the sex worker or a dig at Abba and it's beautiful that it can work it in either way. You
0: know, that's how I took it was I as the prostitute I'd be flattered and as Abba I'd be pissed. Mhm. So, afterwards they took every copy of their album to a field in Stockholm and they set them on fire. <laughs> now, part of the way through the burning, the owner of the field showed up with a rifle and started shooting at them with the intent to kill. <laughs> they grabbed the rest of the albums and ran, leaving the rest to burn in this poor fucker's field. Jesus. So, with the records, they boarded the ferry back to England and dumped the rest of the albums into the North Sea and then performed an impromptu concert on the deck of the ferry.
3: It's Poseidon's problem now.
0: (laughs) I really hope he likes mashups. Now, they didn't do this performance on the boat for free, of course. They made someone give them a Toblerone
3: this has the energy of an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force and I'm here for it.
0: <laughs> Mike. Yeah. If these two came to you mm-hmm. and said, we'll perform an act if you give us a Toblerone. Do, do you give them the Toblerone?
2: I, I don't know. I'd, I'd need some like proof that they're worth the Toblerone. I well, mean, they,
0: that's... you just watched them dump a, hmm. like thousands of records into the North Sea at the back of the boat. So I'm thinking these See, guys are
2: not very good then. <laughs> Well,
1: see,
3: as I see it, I think they were already performing and threatened to not stop until someone gave them a Toblerone. That's... R-
2: <laughs> stop. Give us Either. money or we'll keep going. Yes. Either you give us a Toblerone and we, play, we switch to playing music or we keep doing this weird performance art.
0: <laughs> now, if this doesn't sound kind of ritualistic to you, I'm not sure what to tell you because... I will say that burning things is a theme we'll come back to with these guys. Now, the press back home in the UK ate this shit up. They were mad, they said. They were idiots, they said. They could wait for more, and boy, were they going to get it. So, at this point, the idea of doing hip-hop had lost its charm. So the guys decided they would move over to music for the emerging rave scene. Beat-heavy dance music. They would started going to raves, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. But first, the guys decided they needed to make a number one record. I'm not joking. That was their plan. They decided to, to make a number one record. So what did they do? They took the most British thing in the world and twisted it to their own ends. They made a novelty record of the Doctor Who theme. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, with the Doctor Who connections. So, Cody and Drummond kept trying to get the theme to work as a dance song using their typical sampling method, and it just wasn't working. And I specify their sampling method, because about ten years later, the Orbital did a techno cover of the Doctor Who theme, with a dance beat on their album The All Altogether, and it was fucking badass. Yeah, I remember that one. Mm. Yeah, dude, you gotta hear it. I'll, yeah. So, yeah. Caudi was the one who made the breakthrough on this, though. He realized there was only one beat that matched the Doctor Who theme. Rock and Roll by Gary Glitter. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is unfortunately not going to be the only pedophile to enter this story. So,
2: so it sounds like they weren't making their own beats; they were using well sample beats. Yeah, yeah, they were
0: still doing that when they were yeah, yeah when they started uh, switching over yeah. from
2: yeah, the or, the
0: rap. Whereas Orbital did their own. Yes, it's beat. a cut. Co- Orbital did a cover. They were doing a mashup again.
3: Yeah. The first pedophile to enter the story as what happens with Discordianism, unfortunately.
0: Yes, unfortunately, because there's some shit about Thornley we'll get into when we cover uh, him and Greg Mm -hmm. Hill. Mm -hmm. So, after they mashed them together, they added Dalek voices in a stadium-style chant and started looking for opinions on it. Which, I don't know if you guys have heard the song. I have. But it's yeah I mean there's more to it than just mixing it but like it's definitely a mashup so they're looking for opinions and everyone that heard this song agreed on two points first the song was in a word hideous second they all agreed this was going to be a number one hit
3: it's not that bad (laughs) well okay it is pretty bad (laughs) but the Dalek in the video is just incredible.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up because they made it as ugly and as cheaply as humanly possible to dodge copyright.
3: Yeah, you see their fucking feet moving the thing <laughs> along inside. It's fantastic. It's like an episode of The Flintstones. Oh,
2: God. I just looked it up on <laughs> YouTube. That's that's not a Dalek. That's a uh, Dalek.
0: A Dalek. A Durlick. A derlick.
2: Derlick. Oh, God. <laughs> thing is...
0: So, yeah. Okay, okay.
2: If... If, if you've ever seen Top Gear in that Eagle
0: whatever oh, the e- car. The thund- yeah, thunder- the Eagle Thunder e- thing, yeah. yes. yeah,
2: it's, it, it's it's like a Dalek version of that. It's, yes. It's like if I made a Dalek out of a
0: refrigerator box.
2: Yes, salad it's, it's
0: Clarkson's shitty car as a Dalek. Now, after hearing this, not wanting to sully the good name of the Justified Ancients of Moo Drummond and Caughty took the name The Time Lords and they released Doctor and the TARDIS right as Doctor Who was on the verge of being cancelled. Also, there is a link to the video in the show notes uh, right where I talk about this, so please check it out. Now, the song helped put the show back into public consciousness and helped save it for a time. It came out of hiatus because of this song. Or helped it. They decided to credit the song to Caudi's Ford Galaxy American Police Cruiser, which he'd bought off someone who'd bought it off the set of one of the Superman films at Pinewood (laughs) Studios. So they painted it up like an American Police Cruiser, black and white, and they painted 23 on the roof because Illuminatus. Hmm. They then named it Ford Time Lord. Not Ford Prefect? No, but it is a reference to Ford Prefect and Doctor Mm -hmm. Who because they were both Douglas Adams fans. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, they are. Now, the reason for this, and this is purely speculation on my part, was probably that they thought it would be hilarious to have the car on stage during Top of the Pops. (laughs) Now, they did do interviews about the single on the news, and these poor fucking news reporters would have to stand out in a field with a microphone pointed at a police car as Drummond spoke through the, uh, the, PA. the, the, the PA on top of the car and flashed the <laughs> headlights along with his words. <laughs> now, the BB shot down them bringing the car onto top of the pops, of course. Mm-hmm. And they had Gary Glitter on stage prancing around and singing to it. Should have gone with the car. You're not wrong. <clears throat> in hindsight, they should have gone with the car. So this hit gave them... It, it was, in fact, a number one hit. And this gave them the money to work on something they really wanted to do. Good music. The Justified Ancients of Mumu had a decent back catalog of music. And what they could do is rework those to take the samples out and put in legal samples in some cases, but actually create their own stuff based on it. So they set Mm. to work with it. But this new direction needed a new name. And they took the name from their made-up record label, KLF Communications. They would be the KLF. But they never stopped being... The jams or using the name justified ancients of Moo Moo. Mm -hmm. So, how are you guys feeling about this so far? It's not, I know it's not nearly as weird as our normal stuff.
2: (laughs) These (laughs) guys are pretty weird, just in a different (laughs) way, in a very human and fucked up weird guy way.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is perfectly weird compared to our normal affair because this shit is real people. doing stuff not fake aliens and (laughs) monsters this is like the real weird shit
0: okay that's fair so as the klf started releasing singles their popularity grew worldwide at their peak these guys were the number one singles artist on the fucking planet they were favorites at raves and parties around the world. And all the while, the mystique of the jams was filtering through parts of the culture because of all the references to Illuminatus.
3: Now, now you mentioned taking KLF from the label, but what does KLF stand for? Because I've read confusing yeah, things.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. In reality, not a goddamn thing.
3: Okay, yeah, it's,
0: I should have figured. It's KLF, and they made up what it stood for as something different every goddamn time. <clears throat> now, someone noticed all this. The Discordians. You couldn't have hit songs about by the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo about the number 23 and various esoteric weird shit and not expect them to show up.
3: Nobody expects the Discordians. <laughs>
0: Very nice. Nobody knows who the Discordians are either, but... You That's know. right. We're all, we're all in cabals of one, so... Now, the funny thing is, most Discordians assume that Drummond and Caudy were in on the joke. They were not. They assumed that all this shit about Discordians and the Illuminati was just some silly fiction from books that neither of them had bothered to read and only had passing knowledge of from the play. Like imagine your
3: target audience that you didn't know existed just (laughs) fucking with you.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so, so they just like saw the stuff in the play and latched onto it and just
0: like strewning it everywhere. Yeah. That's
2: very weird.
0: It is. So what did the discordians do? They got them with operation. Mindfuck is what they did. It did not go well.
3: When an unstoppable force meets an immovable object.
0: <laughs> when 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 an
2: unknowing force meets a absurdly silly
0: oh, object, oh yeah. Now, I want to remind all of our listeners out there that this was happening between eighty eight and 91, 92. <clears throat> so there wasn't really an internet like you know it today. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not one that you could hop on and Google Discordians. So when letters started showing up from the Illuminati and the real Justified Ancients of mumu and the P-O-E-E, Drummond and Caudi were panicked at what they'd accidentally involved themselves in. Oh, shit. They took it seriously. Cheese <laughs> it, it's the Rossers. Yes. <laughs> then the contract showed up. the contract was a joke we don't know what the contract said specifically but friends of the KLF said that they took it deathly seriously it sounds like one of those sell your soul type things and they signed it without fucking hesitation
2: (laughs) so so Bart doesn't have a soul in his rowboat
0: yes exactly they're sitting in a rowboat without their soul buddies. Thank you for the Simpsons reference, Mike. We needed it. Now, one thing we do know that was in the contract is that it stipulated one thing. They had to make a movie called The White Room, and then they would be allowed into the real White Room. You need to know that to understand what fucking happens next to the KLF. Uh, just, Jesus
3: Christ, this feels exactly like watching that scene in Pet Cemetery where the kid starts running across <laughs> the road and the semi-truck is <laughs> barreling down and he can do nothing about
0: it. Yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful train wreck. <laughs> so the KLF took their earnings from Doctor and the TARDIS and they started work on a film called The White Room around 1991. Now, they didn't half-ass this. They hired an actual film crew and a real director and wrote the screenplay themselves and made it. Mm. It was about two, two two-and-a-half hours long and consisted almost entirely of footage of Drummond and Coddy driving Ford Time Lord across the world and finally getting to the White Room where they were freed from a contract they signed at the beginning of the film. (laughs) They also recorded a pretty goddamn good soundtrack for it, which is new remixes of their previous songs, and the music was released. The film wasn't.
3: This almost sounds like Daft Punk's Electroma which I wouldn't be shocked to learn Daft Punk referenced The White Room.
0: You know, I've been thinking the whole time, I wonder how much uh, Daft Punk took from this.
3: Because I, I know that they took from a lot of like really interesting um, <clears throat> sources and everything like that. And yeah, I feel like The White Room is probably something that they are oh,
2: referencing yeah. with that project. We're, I just have one question about The White Room. Yeah? Were there black curtains?
0: No! <laughs> I was so pissed! <laughs> so after this they decided they wanted to start shooting additional footage for it to try to make a narrative out of it involving a hobo that saved their lives from an Illuminati assassin. Now, they said that this happened because a hobo told them at a rave he had saved their lives from an Illuminati assassin while they were filming (laughs) The White Room. Jesus Christ. Now, in another synchronicity, the hobo was played by Paul McGann, who five years later in 1986 would be cast as the Doctor in the 96 TV movie. Okay. Someone get Russell T. Davies on the phone <clears throat> and
3: start writing this, 15, this 15th Doctor story.
0: Oh, I would love for him to actually deal with the KLF in the past. It'd be fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> neither film version of The Room was released at the time because it was Boring as hell. Sounds like it. So once again, a failure. Again, fantastic album. Now, as a caveat, the original version of the film has been released recently on Blu-ray, along with several of their other attempted film projects. So there's that. So they're finally out of the contract. Apparently. (laughs)
3: This is a great example of of why you actually research things before devoting your creative career to evoking the tropes and imagery of the thing. Else you have to make a shitty movie with Paul McGann in it.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know, it feels like the kind of thing that our friend Paul would have sat there and watched and said it was the most transformative experience of his life. (laughs) So, there's a lot I could say about this next part, which I have titled Justified and Ancient and the Fall of (laughs) Moo. There's a lot I can say about their careers, but it was at this point that every goddamn thing they touched and released started turning to gold. For instance, (laughs) they held an amazing solstice festival called the Rites of Moo for the music press on the island of Jura, where all in attendance had to have their passports stamped as they were entering the land of Moo getting off the boat. Drummond stood on a wooden stage in front of a giant wicker man speaking in tongues about the old times while wearing a white robe with a single horn protruding from the front of it. Their new album played as the wicker man burned and Drummond yelled. (laughs) Now, unknown to them, at the exact same time, another wicker man was being burned in the U.S. at a festival that would eventually become burning man so that's another synchronicity
3: like i know this will probably get darker but ranting in robes in front of a burning wicker man while i hold journalists hostage (laughs) while i larp a sovereign nation is the exact vibe i wish to bring to the table at any
0: party. (laughs) i'm not gonna lie this part this part about the rights of moo i'm a little jealous
3: like, it sounds dope as hell. Like it really does. Yeah, no.
0: And apparently the the press had a fantastic time.
3: It's like anything they do, it's a coin flip. Heads, it's the coolest fucking thing ever. Tails. What
2: the fuck is going on? <laughs> Tails they they end up uh getting Cutting on the their... radar of a secret cabal that like tricks them into doing weird <laughs> shit.
0: Which th- which <coughs> then loops back to, well, this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so they worked on what would be their last album and included the single Justified Ancients," Justified and Ancient. And that's where I want to draw your attention to next. Mm-hmm. Now, the guys have been working on a song by the name of Justified and Ancient for a while. What would the name of the original band? Yeah. And they were having difficulty because none of the vocals worked. Like, they were trying, and none of the regular people just wasn't clicking the way they wanted. And in frustration, Cody just said, you know what this needs is Tammy Wynette. <laughs> country music singer. Yeah. Stand by your man. Yeah. Tammy mm-hmm. Wynette. Now, again, Drummond, not knowing the definition of the word impossible, <laughs> just picked up the goddamn phone, made some calls, and a few minutes later, Tammy Wynette was on the phone listening to a demo of the song. Now, Miss Wynette was actually backstage at a show about to perform. (laughs) And to her credit, she loved what she heard and agreed to it on the fucking spot. What the hell? So not much later, Drummond flies out to Nashville and records her vocals. What the fuck? This is like the
2: Forrest Gump for like weird, nerdy, fake punk religion. (laughs) Mike, thoughts on this? I mean, I, I some people. I mean, this this he's got one of them. I don't know which one. <laughs> Must have been just hella charismatic.
0: I know he's got the Riz.
2: <laughs> like, like, yeah. There's just like he
0: could probably. That's you not know, how
2: you use Riz. <laughs> really? Yes. No. R- riz is like a sexual. thing.
0: Goddamn. Well, he may
2: have that too. <laughs> True. But he just has like something. Just
0: convincing. Oh anyone. yeah. He he could sell. You know. Hey, do you remember Fraggle Rock? Yeah. You remember convincing Mm -hmm. John? No. He's a guy that showed up and can convince anyone of anything. That's all it is. He's a Muppet.
2: Yeah. Well, just, yeah, (laughs) just, he, he, he could, uh, he could sell ice to, uh, the Inuit.
0: Very Hmm. nice, Mike. I'm proud of you for that. Use the correct term. Of course. I'm not, I'm not
2: some, you know, fucking heathen that's going to say Eskimo.
0: Okay. Thank you. Well, there it goes. We're trying. Yeah. We're We're trying trying real hard guys. So inevitably, a music video was shopped for this. All of the KLF's videos have this motif with the performers on a step pyramid cut between stuff. And this one was no different. Miss Wynette was flown to London and dressed as the Queen of Moo. Now when she got there, Caudi was really confused by who she was. And it turns out he had Tammy Wynette confused with Dolly Parton (laughs) but he got over it pretty quickly because Tammy was a damn trooper she may not have really known or got everything that was going on but she threw herself into this thing with gusto and by all accounts she had a blast and she toured to promote the single even to passing out from the exhaustion at one point and the whole time, she had nothing but praise for the KLF. So, so,
3: again, in the moment of the creation, the vibes with them sound great. It just seems to be the hangover period that all of this is the problem.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it all ends in, like, you cutting your dick off so, or something.
2: So, if I were one to be more woo-minded, I could almost say that, you know, one of them, whoever, whoever's the... You know, the
0: front guy is Drummond.
2: Yeah. Whoever is the convincer or you know, that's maybe Drummond. the idea. Yeah, that's but, Drummond. But he, he could all. You could also say maybe he's like in tune with the universe. Like he yeah. somehow, he, he meant to say Dolly Pardon. Well,
0: Cody meant, well, yeah. meant to say Dolly Well, one of
2: them meant to say Dolly Pardon, but said Tammy Wynette just because she happened to be like the one know, that would get it. The one that would get it, one that would do it and was looking for like a weird project
0: like yeah. this. Yeah. Alternately, I, I like, what's that? Oh,
2: I, I'd like to think that Dolly would do it. Oh,
0: I would love to see know. a new cover of it with Dolly. I,
2: th- I think she probably would have been too, you know, at the time, sure, but something. now she'd do it. Yeah, but that's why yeah. I'm saying that, you know, if if there was such a thing as that, it was it came they they purposely got it crossed up to uh, lead yeah. them to the one that would Fate.
0: do it. Yeah. Uh, alternately, maybe there's Taviran.
3: Well, and here's the thing, Mike, that's magical thinking right there.
0: Yeah. That's but awesome. Mike said if he were more woo
3: inclined. Yes. Well, well he, he's he's doing the thought exercise. Yes. So I'm, I'm glad. Like, it, it just it makes yeah. sense. And
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. So the video. This thing just has to be seen to be believed. I have a link to it in the doc. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot. It involves a step pyramid with dancers, robed singers, and most of them are frequent collaborators with the KLF. It also includes the four handmaidens of Lucifer in white robes, flanking Miss Tammy Wynette at the top of the pyramid in stunning blue.
3: Again, I'm going to draw parallels to Daft Punk, if you've ever seen their video for Around the World. It
0: is very reminiscent, like Around the World is very reminiscent of some KLF shit.
3: Same same vibes, yeah. yeah.
0: It also features Drummond and Caudi in blood red robes with those giant horns one apiece sticking out uh, from the front hiding their faces, playing electric guitars on the pyramid before leaving in a submarine, which again is a reference to the Illuminatus trilogy if you read the books. (laughs) Now, text on the screen of the video that flashes up also references the fall of the Empire and the death of Little Moo. Now, knowing what I know now about them and their mindsets, this whole thing looks like a magical ritual of some kind, either on purpose or by accident, subconsciously. It's by far their grandest video, and it's the one they would go out on.
3: Now, I also want to point out that you could pause the video at any moment and have a Vaporwave album cover from the visuals alone. <laughs>
0: You're not wrong. Uh, wh-
3: wh- yeah, whether it's the video toaster set or if it's the, um, like, the random Japanese... character, Well, probably not random Japanese characters. Oh, it
0: probably like- means something.
3: I, I, yeah, yeah. And I I also propose that whenever Kevin shuts his eyes, this is what he sees in his mind's eye.
2: Probably.
0: <laughs> and for the past <clears> few also, weeks, yes.
2: It also has footage of them burning their Wicker Man.
0: Yes. It, it, that's the <clears> thing. <throat> in the video, every piece of footage you see that isn't the pyramid is from one of their films that didn't come out.
2: I'm guessing the one with the car <clears throat> is probably from their The White, white room. room, yes.
0: Now I want to take one more quick break before we move into the third uh, act of this. And this will be the end of our story. So we will be right back after this. Hi, everyone. This is Kevin from Supernatural Selection. Are you an independent creator? Do you have a webcomic or an Etsy store? Do you 3D print things? Or are you just looking to get some word out for your Discordian cabal with uh, social terrorism? Well, we'd love to help. And David, I believe you've got some details about how we can help.
3: Why, certainly. If you go to SupernaturalSelectionPod.com contact, that is SupernaturalSelectionPod.com
0: contact, you can learn how to advertise with us. That's right. I believe the rate is $2 per episode. You can't beat that with a stick. I mean, trust me, we've tried. Yeah, that's cheap. That's literally cheaper than dirt.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. And best of all, if you're not sure how to write an ad, we'll do it for you. We'll even record it.
0: Absolutely. Just let us know what you need in the ad, and we'll be happy to do that for you.
3: And again, that URL is supernaturalselectionpod.com slash contact.
0: And now... Back to the show, and we're back now. Before we move on to the, into the last portion of this, I want to bring up something that I just thought of from the uh, the song "Justified and Ancient," and it may be the most telling lyric in the entire catalog. The lyric is, they're justified, and they're ancient, and they drive an ice cream van. They're justified, and they're ancient, with still no master plan. That right there is the core of the KLF.
3: And the fact that it's Tammy Wynette singing that Singing
0: it, yes. God, it's such a good song, though. All right. Now that I've got that out of my system, (laughs) we're going to talk about the Brit Awards. Oh, boy. So, in 1992, someone at the Brit Awards thought it would be be a great idea to ask the KLF to be the opening act. They'd actually been asked to perform at the Brits in 1991, but negotiations fell through when the producers wouldn't let them saw an elephant's leg off during their act. (laughs) Wait, what? What? Yes. Like, on a living elephant? Yes, a living elephant on stage, and they were going to chainsaw its legs off. Um, no
2: <clears throat> shit, really.
0: The The elephant represented the music industry, they said. Uh, the BBC and the producers told them to sod the fuck off.
3: <laughs> I find it hard to believe that the BBC would do something like that.
0: I don't. <laughs> Now, a thing to remember is that the KLF, of course, had been working to try to change the industry from the inside. They hated what it was and what it does to artists. It cheapens music, and they wanted to try and change it through their avant-garde music and performances. I mean, their ad campaigns, they never did major ads. They were all done through publishing cryptic notes in the music press. And putting graffiti up all over London and relying on word of mouth in the underground. And you know what? It fucking worked. Mm. And they saw being invited to the Brit Awards as the opener, as a testament to just how badly they'd failed.
3: Mission failed successfully.
0: (laughs) So the plan was to come out and play 3AM Eternal. Again, fantastic song. One of their biggest hits. So they did. They had a band called Extreme Noise Terror (laughs) that they had been working with to come out and do its speed metal cover of it. (laughs) Now, I'm going to quote John Higgs' book for the first time here because he describes it great. Quote, It was noise, and it was a shock to realize just how deeply unpleasant noise could be. In an age when speed metal is used to sell energy drinks, it is perhaps hard to appreciate just how incomprehensible bands like Extreme Noise Terror were at the time. That is the most British description of speed metal I have ever heard. It really is. Now, during all this, in the midst of the chaos, Drummond stood with a single crutch... Wearing a kilt in his family's tartan and a leather jacket belonging to a terrorist that fled to Bolivia. (laughs) A huge cigar clenched in his teeth. Beside him stood Caudy. At the end of the act, Drummond raised an antique machine gun and fired blanks into the crowd of the gathered music industry executives before walking off stage. (laughs) What the fuck? A voice over the PA then announced, The KLF have now left the music business. This was taken as a joke. It was supposed to be a joke. It was not. So let's
3: talk about the
0: gun. Was this a bit
3: that was approved or did Drummond literally sneak a gun in with blanks and open fire from the stage? Because I'm inclined to think the latter from everything we've discussed so far.
0: Oh, there's no way the BBC said, yeah, shoot at us. It's fine. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he just, they thought it was a prop or something. It was a real machine gun.
3: It's a good thing he had the jacket because that's literally an act of terrorism.
0: Yep. Jesus so, Christ! Now, this was not the original idea. The original idea had been to do an act so heinous and so depraved that the music industry would reject them. Again, in this, they failed spectacularly. What they had done was they had bought a dead sheep from a slaughterhouse and they were going to butcher it on the stage and throw the guts and body parts at the crowd. The sheep had been a symbol they used on the cover of their early albums and was hidden throughout their catalog. Now, Extreme Noise Terror, being vegetarians, (laughs) and the BBC, put an axe to this. The sheep would instead be dumped on the steps of an after party with a note saying, I died for you. E-W-E. Now, I'm relieved
3: you said butcher as opposed to fuck it, given the trajectory (laughs) of excess thus far. It is a shame that the sheep had to die. But it was already like a slaughtered sheep, right? Yeah,
0: it was was at a slaughterhouse going to be chopped up. They just absconded with it for a small amount of cash. So, after the sheep idea was nixed, they had gotten themselves worked up enough... that Drummond was seriously considering cutting his fucking hand off with a chainsaw (laughs) live on stage and throwing it into the front row at Cordy's suggestion. Wow. (laughs) What an enabler. Instead, we got
3: what we got. So the elephant in the room here. It's okay. um, It didn't get its legs cut off. (laughs) Right. Was, Was Drummond diagnosed with some form of mental illness Because, to a degree, this acting out goes beyond, like, contrarianism and shock showmanship. Um, And then Caudi is going along with this, but it seems so much of this is at the whims of Drummond.
0: I'm gonna disagree there, because Caudi is just as crazy as Drummond in this stuff. Uh, And I'm glad you brought this up, because in more recent years, uh, Caudi... is active in riots and social upheaval shit and does mm-hmm. art pieces about famous riots, he made his daughter a smiley face anti-riot shield riot shield to take to demonstrations. Okay, that's fucking cool. That is the most Alan Moore watchman shit I've ever heard. <laughs> so, Cody is not just going along with anything. They're both feeding okay. the fire <laughs> of each other's ideas here.
3: Well, and then, but, also, like, yeah, you did position earlier that, like, we're gonna hear a lot from kind of like Drummond because oh, yeah. there's more about I just, him. So, yeah. yeah, I guess that's. Cody's madness it that
0: way. really didn't show up until afterwards. But I'm glad you brought it up because it gives me a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But is have either of them been diagnosed with some form of mental illness? Not that I'm aware of. Should hmm. they be? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yes someone should take a look at them, yes. Yeah, somebody should, like, open up their heads and monkey with their brains or something. So, (laughs) with the insanity that they were, even with the insanity they were able to pull off, only one person in the entire crowd stormed off and had to be convinced to stay. They wanted the whole audience to either storm out in anger or rush the stage and kill them. (laughs) What happened next was worse. To them, at least. First, they won Best Band. <laughs> what a tragedy. They didn't stick around to pick up the uh, uh, the statuette. When it was finally delivered, Drummond and Caudy would bury the statue in a field near Stonehenge. <laughs> the most British fuck you you could do. I, then a few months later, the farmer who owned the field accidentally dug it up and he sent it back to them. <laughs> so they go back to the field later and bury it somewhere else in the field twice as deep. <sighs> let, me, let me let that sink in for a second. That is some, some <laughs> shit right there, okay? <clears throat> the second, Jonathan King said he enjoyed the performance. Oh, no. <clears throat> now, being an American, I had no idea who Jonathan King was. And it turns out he is a record exec, the producer of the show, a TV presenter, a former recording artist, artist, and he would also, like Gary Glitter, turn out to be a pedophile. God damn it. He was arrested and convicted of sexual acts against underage boys. You know, this reminds me of a joke. Yeah?
3: What do you call it when Jimmy Savile... Gary Glitter, and Jonathan King are in the same room together. What's that? A bad time. Ow. <laughs> 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 that, that's, <laughs> my, that's my Norm MacDonald joke. <laughs>
0: Thanks <laughs> that <episode>. for that. <laughs> God, that's <laughs> fucking, I hate that. So, and that was it. They'd set out to alienate <laughs> the music industry, and instead, the worst of them accepted them with open arms, thinking it was a bit. Ugh. The KLF more or less died that night, but they wouldn't announce it for a few months.
1: <clears throat>
0: now, after this, Drummond and Caudy would found the K Foundation as an art project and art institute. But their attempts at art would be rejected by galleries because they weren't quote artists in their eyes, and their biggest piece was nailing forty thousand pounds to a, a two by four. <laughs>
2: Now, I was thinking that's really sounds really heavy. Then I realized I oh, know you're talking about money. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> no. So, no.
2: I no. That was a me situation. I keep not yeah. thinking in yeah, British you get, pounds. You gotta term. you
0: gotta make the conversions. It's difficult. Yeah. I know. Now, since they couldn't break into the art world, they decided to award a worst artist award on the same day as the Turner Prize for best artist award. And without knowing they were doing it or meaning to, the person they picked to win the Worst Artist Award also won the Turner Prize for Best Artist Award. (laughs) The award was the (laughs) (laughs) $40,000. With a couple holes in it. Which was twice as much as the Turner Prize. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Which was only $20,000. Now, the artist who won... Didn't want the money, so Drummond and Caudi gave him an ultimatum saying that if you don't show up by 11 o'clock outside the, 11 p.m. outside the venue, we're gonna burn the money on the steps. (laughs) So, one minute to 11 p.m., suddenly the artist shows up and agrees to take it and give it to an art to a bunch of artist charities.
3: Why won't they hate us? Why won't they hate us? They're just trying so hard. But you know, here, know, here's the here's the other thing. They're trying to break into the art world, and the art world stops them. Yes. Like
0: yes, the art I mean, arts the art world's like oh fuck no.
3: Yeah, it's just I, I, again, it's like you know, um,
0: like I, I guess the art world was smarter about it than well, the recording industry. I, I, I think, and this is what Higgs said. The art world, particularly in the UK, is very fragile in its legitimacy. Mm. And the acts of Drummond and Caudi would completely shatter (laughs) any legitimacy they had. Yeah. And I can can get that. So,
2: (laughs) also, yeah, the the art world is... I'm not going to say it's not commercial, but especially at the time, it's probably less commercial... Oh, yeah. ...than, you know, the record industry. Record industry, they don't give a shit. They'll just keep... See, promoting stuff that they can mm. sell.
0: Yeah. Now, see, nowadays both of them do this kind of art, it goes up in galleries. Banksy oh, yeah. works with them. Yeah. So, what follows mm. after this is probably the only way this was going to go down with guns ablazing. <clears throat> oh, I wish. <laughs> I good think of plenty of ways
2: this could yeah. kind have of went down. Well, in
0: 1994, <laughs> the year you and I graduated, well, the year I graduated, Drummond. Cady, a journalist, and a guy named Gimpo <laughs> went back to Jura, where and, they burned the wicker man and walked into a bar. Yes, but that's not part of the story. On the flight out, Drummond and Cady told no one what they were doing, but Gimpo had puzzled out that what was in their br- had puzzled out what was in their briefcase. Gimpo. Was that the, was his nickname. But the, yes, the worst
2: Mark's brother. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: He's the most submissive Mark's brother. <laughs> oh, please, Mark's Coon. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway, <coughs> what was in the briefcase was the last 1 million pounds of KLF money. <laughs> Gimpo was going to be their guide to their destination and considered Killing them and dumping the bodies in a ravine for it, but I guess the third guy, the journalist, was just one too many murders. I don't want to live in a world
3: where you can't trust Gimpo to see you through to your destination.
0: Yeah, I want a I want a uh, uh, navigation system called the Gimpo now. <laughs>
2: just you have to you have to unzip their mouth so they can talk. Yeah, you go, hey, Gimpo. <laughs> oh, hang on. Oh, take it left at the next intersection.
0: Thank you, Gimpo. Zip. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, after a long trek, the small party reached an old stone boathouse with a wood-burning stove. A camera was set up and pulled out. And Drummond and Caudi proceeded to burn the last one million pounds they'd made, failing their way into success. Some people just fail upwards. And they filmed it. Yes. Now, afterward, they toured the country, showing the footage as an indie film. And I can tell you right now, they made no friends along the way. You mean you just burned it? Yeah. Fuck you. So, after each and I need to say, the venues they chose were like bat shit. It'd be a college, a pub, some dude's house, <laughs> the site of a building. And none of it made Drummond sense. <laughs>
2: the dude's house does not constitute a venue, but, yeah, you know, will hey.
0: we'll, we'll get to <clears throat> a specific house later. But, after each showeding, showing, showeding, I think I'm trying to say shooting, because if it was America, that's how this would end. So... <laughs> After each showing, they would open the floor to discussion about why in the fuck did we do this? What is wrong with us? I mean, goddamn! Literally the name of the TED talk.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Nowadays, they just have a TED talk about it. Yeah.
0: Now, I will say, Caudi in later years was like, I feel really fucked up about what we did. This like, would be we, like, we like we a could've... Mr. Beast video
3: today. It would yeah. be him on the thumbnail. I just burned one million pounds.
0: Yeah. So Cody's like, man, we could have done so much with that money to change the world. And Drummond is like, I stand by our decision.
2: I don't know, they, they're, <laughs> they're kind of caught up in a whirlpool of altered reality. They were.
0: The mm-hmm. magical thinking had them by the scruff of the necks. And to this day, they don't really know why they did what they did. Books like the one I read, have been written about it. Journalists have tried to figure it out. They have interviewed them and their friends and everyone involved about it. Most people think they're just stupid attention whores throwing a tantrum. Maybe they are. Or maybe there's more to it. Higgs speculates that what happened was an attempt to get their souls back. Mm. And I feel like that may be closest to the truth.
3: I mean yeah they they embraced a career uh, about contrarianism and trying to be edgy for the reaction to a degree but it just ended up making them this quirky novelty that was rendered more or less non-threatening to the people yeah. um so <clears throat> so the easiest way to wound a satirist is to embrace their work without the commentary without commentary on the satire
2: itself
0: Right. They wanted to be the Sex Pistols but they were treated like they might be giants. Well,
2: I'd I'd say pro- it's more it may, they're saying to get their souls back is probably being a little too uh
0: I don't know. There's there's one thing I haven't told y'all but I'll tell to, you when you're done, Mike.
2: Well, I'm just from 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 right, an outside right. point of view, but I would say it probably has more to do with I wouldn't say Guilt exactly,
0: but a statement on their, but, what they did with the industry. Well, that or their their feelings
2: of failure and impotence impotence about it because they they wanted to get a reaction from the industry. Instead, they just kept getting more money instead of getting the you know things they thought they were going to get like you know either ridicule or change change or yeah mm-hmm. any kind of self reflection. They just kept getting more money. <laughs> So what do you do with that money you got that you feel kind of dirty about that, you know, you didn't want the money for it. You wanted, it's like, yeah. it's like, well, it's like, say, you know, it always seems weird when, you know, there's all these uh, lawsuits, right? And yeah. people getting millions of dollars and stuff mm-hmm. for, you know, and, and when it wasn't a monetary damage, they suffered, uh-huh. like, Say, say if you had a family member die, like in someone you're not like financially, you know, reliant on, say a child or, you know. Right. But, and you get, you win a settlement and get like, you know, $20 million for the death of, you know, someone close. To, that that doesn't fix you. No. And, and so I can see you could have you know, a lot of like conflicted resentment thoughts and resentment about yeah. this money. Yeah. This money symbolizes. You know a bad thing even well, though the money itself could help you it's still not clean
0: to yeah you. no i totally get it yeah it's blood money yeah the, the, yeah the person who best
3: understands them i think is dj khaled from his album suffering from success
0: <coughs> really
3: <laughs>
0: wait are just... you are you saying he's another one
2: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the the guy that won't like go down on his wife? Gosh. Yes,
0: Khaled doesn't eat pussy. <laughs> well, here's the thing: I think it is at least partially the buying your soul back thing, because and this is not in the outline. Two years later, in 1996, Drummond would go on a trip with a friend into the into the heart of the Congo to find the devil and defeat him to get his soul back with a punching puppet.
3: Well, why is this not in the fucking outline?
0: <laughs> because I wanted to spring it on you and get your real reaction. <laughs> Jesus Christ! He went to fight the devil with a punch puppet because, as he said, he's the only character that's ever defeated the devil.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> I think I think that guy just had you know soul issues. Yeah. It, it, mental issues as yeah. well. But I, th- I think that, I think he was way too impressionable when that, uh, discordian contract came
0: up. Yeah, probably. And it, he just took it way too seriously. Oh yeah. Both of them did. But mm-hmm. so now we turn to Alan Moore noted mm-hmm. comic writer, creator of, uh, Watchmen. Watchmen and, uh, V for Vendetta and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Noted comic writer and wizard. And a mm-hmm. uh,
2: Rasputin impersonator.
0: Yes, thank <laughs> you. I was about to get there. So Alan Moore, they decided one of the venues was, we're going to just let Alan Moore watch it in his house. <laughs> so they screened the film for him, hoping for some insight from this wizard, <clears throat> which sounds like the most Harry Potter statement I've ever made. <laughs> and he told them that it was a magical act. It was, in fact, some form of ritual. Mm-hmm. And he told them, you're asking questions in a language you don't know, and you're waiting for answers. And again, I th- think this makes as much sense as anything else, given what we know about these guys and the way they work.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and first of all, when you say Alan Moore's home, do you mean the magical cave he dug or the actual house that he lives in? Because it could easily <laughs>
0: be either. It It is actually... His house. I'm assuming okay.
2: that's the one that had a television in it.
0: Yes, right, he could probably have a television in the cave. Um, sure, I guess he, with a generator. Uh,
3: we will also be discussing Alan more in the future.
0: Oh, we're gonna have to. The man's insane.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, on, on that note, I also want to draw parallels here to, of all things, Hellier.
0: Ah, yeah. Specifically,
3: how the new Kirks and the crew are made aware. Uh, through numerology and connections to the lore of Pan that might, they might be piercing the veil and receiving answers to questions
0: that they have yet to successfully ask. Do you, do you remember that from the series? I do, and it makes as much sense as what's happening here, which is none at all. I get of it, your, your piecing, your, your, no, I get it.
3: You're piecing... No, I understand. Yeah, it's like you continue. just poke this hole in the fabric of the universe.
0: And something says something. Yeah, and you just don't I, know how to interpret it. And I get that. It's it's um, there in the book he states there's two ways to look at this whole story. One is through magical thinking that all of this is significant and uh, everything is uh, you know synchronistic, and there was a, there was a a journey here. And the other way to look at it, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Terry Pratchett: things just happen. What the hell? <laughs> that's the two ways to look at the story.
2: Well, the only thing I have to say about that is I'm going to pierce the veil with my dick. Oh, damn son. Uh, so it's just a little pinprick then. Oh, damn son. <laughs> well, you said, you said it was already a tiny hole. Yeah. Okay. That's true. So that means you'll be a
0: tight fit. Damn. So what came next was the last act of the Kane foundation and it came in a diner in Scotland. It's kind of like the equivalent of we did something in a Waffle House.
3: (laughs) The most supernatural restaurant in the world.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot of fights. Anyway, Drummond and Caudy decided to end this whole affair. And the contract they wrote read as follows, and this is quoted from Higgs' book again. For the sake of our souls, we, the trustees of the K Foundation, agree, unconditionally, totally, and without hesitation, to a binding contract with the rest of the world. The contract is as follows. Bill Drummond plus Jimmy Cauty agree to never speak, write, or use any other form of media to mention the burning of one million pounds of their own money, which occurred on the island of Jura on 23rd August, 1994, for a period of 23 years. See, 23 again. And they did twenty on the 23rd of August, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 23 years after the date of signature. Bill Drummond and Jimmy Cauty are free to end the K Foundation in all respects for a period of 23 years after the date of signature. This is another fucking ritual. It is. Well, it's a contract. A contract's yeah. well, it, a ritual. Well, yeah. It's a binding ritual. It is. And it gets worse. And since this was a KLF, they decided the only way, way to make this official was to write it on the side of Gimpo's van and push it off a cliff into the ocean. <laughs> now, Gimpo... In the only sane act of this entire story left them at the diner, drove his van back to London and left the two stranded in Scotland. That's Gimpo for you. I mean that is the smartest thing anyone's done Well', well and in and his here's whole the story. other
3: thing. like Gimpo had planned to kill them at one point, yeah. and he's still fucking hanging out with them.
0: Hey, you know what the worst thing is? After some more reading, I found out he was the one that was going to help him burn the money on the steps of the fucking art place. So, Wild. as a compromise and not having the van, they decided they were going to rent a car. They wrote the contract on the windshield and then pushed the car into the ocean instead. I
3: bet Hertz was thrilled about that.
0: I guess they were hurt. <laughs> Yes. Now, the very last part of this is what drove me and Paul nuts for years as fans of the KLF. Since they were independent artists, they owned their own back catalog. They weren't beholden to anyone in the record industry. They deleted the whole goddamn thing in a final ritualistic sacrifice. They burned their gains and burned the thing that brought those gains.
3: I want to point out the inherent instability present here that goes beyond statement and to me makes me wonder if Drummond could have had some form of mental illness. Not judging him for it either, but there is something that is off here that's
0: beyond the pale of showmanship. I totally agree. And this is... uh, Yeah, I've I've got some things to say about it. Also,
2: I want (laughs) to say it, it must be fucking nice to be able to have a lifestyle and live in a country where you know you can do that not be afraid of you know going hungry and
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah now as a small epilogue to all this the klf have returned kind of they returned as the jams back in 2017 and released a book and in 2021 they released three compilations Uh, compilation albums of their best stuff on streaming services. Now, not Mm -hmm. for sale on as MP3s, though. Nothing they've done will make any money for the music, at least not in any significant way, you know, streaming, am I right? Mm -hmm. In fact, just a few months ago, they announced a new tour in 2323.
3: Of course. We're going Futurama heads
0: and jars for this one. Oh, I'm there, dude.
2: If only there was a 23rd month.
0: Yep. Oh, Drummond also finally read Illuminatus a few years ago. (laughs) He found it deeply upsetting how many parallels he found between it and his life, (laughs) right down to the unknowing involvement of pedophiles. He was shaken, and he did not like it, though he always and still does consider Robert Anton Wilson a hero. Now, in contrast... John Higgs got to interview Robert Anton Wilson before his death, and he asked them what he he asked him what he thought of the KLF. Wilson's reply was, never heard of him. Oof. Yeah, big oof. oof. Senpai didn't notice them. No, he did not. <laughs> now, like I said before, the KLF was a failure in every goal they set for themselves, but they weren't actually failures. I mean, the sheer amount of money they made is a testament to that. Yeah, they created both <clears throat> the genres of stadium house and ambient techno genres of music because they were so deeply embedded in the rave scene. They were doing the KLF stuff, <clears throat> you know, for the dance floor, but they invented ambient techno for the chill out rooms when you're coming down off the uh, the E. Mm. And you're just mm. hanging in the back.
2: And you're saying they didn't have copious amounts of drugs. Okay. Around.
0: Actually, you know what? Yes, they did. Because, funny story I didn't get to mention and completely forgot about the title, What Time is Love, of one of their biggest songs, happened because Drummond turned to Cody and was about to ask, When does the E kick in? <laughs> and it immediately kicked in and he just said, What time is love? <laughs> and that was the name of the song (laughs) oh man so after doctor and the tardis came out these guys wrote a book called the manual how to have a number one hit the easy way (laughs) and it's it's actually it's actually been used several times by different artists to make number one fucking hits (laughs) So it's kinda cool that they actually
2: got it down to a science. So I wanna I wanna point
0: out a little meta thing there. What's
2: that? In the in the doc you have how to have a number one the easy way. <laughs> it's like <laughs> step one, have a good prostate.
0: Yep. Yep. That I I completely missed that. Let me fix that for you. <laughs> but that's why I laughed. Okay. <laughs>
3: For what was supposed to be a disruptive and antithetical project to the music industry, they sure did a lot that helped the industry here.
2: Yeah, I know. Like, like Kevin said, I think they're just kind of savantish in that way.
0: Oh yeah, no, it re- does remind me of something Terry Jones said about Monty Python once, which was. We set out with Monty Python to do something completely new and indefinable, and the fact that "Pythonesque" is in the Oxford English <laughs> Dictionary, it's a testament to how badly we failed.
2: <laughs> I, I go the opposite. I say that they succeeded roaringly because the only way to define their stuff is self-reference. Therefore, Yeah, okay, were, that's true. They you were can unique.
0: Only, it's like Dadaism. You can yeah. only define Dadaism with Dadaism.
2: So they... they, they
0: pioneered a genre. Yep. And also, let's not forget that they helped spread the spirit, if not the name or on purpose, of Discordianism to the masses. And now that their music is available again, I'm hoping it helps us through the wilderness years now that the founders of Discordianism have all died. Mm. So, what did I learn from all this? You shouldn't read so much crazy shit. You're goddamn right, but besides that, I learned that it's possible to do magic without knowing you're doing magic. <laughs> ritual is ritual. I also learned that there are no happy endings in the, in the Discordian lifestyle when you live it for real. The KLF yeah. were miserable. Robert Anton Wilson... Carrie Thornley, Robert Shea, and Greg Hill all died either alone and miserable or died and drank themselves to death and miserable.
1: Mm.
0: Like I've said recently, our friend Paul lived the Discordian life without knowing it, kind of like Drummond and Caudy, and he drank himself to death. Mm. And like I said, in all fairness, he was either going to go out drinking himself to death or... Uh, naked, on fire, and running, running across a football field during a game he wasn't even watching. That, mm. I,
2: I think. also think being killed by a spiteful ex.
0: Yes, also true. Okay, the three ways he was going to go out. Yeah. Three, sir. So, so, I was also reminded that the life of an artist is difficult. Mm. I'd forgotten recently, since I don't do as much drawing as I did, we seldom get to do it for financial game. It kind of has to be art for art's sake. And if you can't live by your own principles doing it, maybe it's not worth doing. I don't know. Mm. Now,
3: being an artist with discordian tendencies is like playing Russian roulette with five bullets in the chamber. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point. And mm-hmm. a five-shot revolver.
3: Yes. <laughs> oh,
0: God damn.
3: Yeah, th- throw being queer on there, and now it's <laughs> six. Yeah, now it's all, bullets all six
2: bullets. have got... You've got, you got six bullets, but you're really using a Derringer.
0: Yes. It's like playing <laughs> Russian roulette with a CZ-75. <laughs> no. Now, all that being said, I do highly encourage everyone to read John Higgs' book because it goes into so much more detail than we can cover in this show, and it's all beyond the scope of this podcast. It takes some really weird turns into politics, philosophy like Dadaism and the Situationists and the Spectacle and Chaos Magic, of course. Mm. It also goes into the origin of origins of Discordianism, the JFK assassination, it just uh, Robert and Tom Wilson. It's also just entertaining as hell. So that leaves me to ask, as usual, Mike David, what do you think?
2: Um, fuck me, man. (laughs) I mean, these boys, they, they really, uh, they they knew how to party, didn't they? They certainly knew how to do. They knew how to (laughs) moo moo.
0: Yes. (laughs) They knew how to do, do that moo moo.
3: I, I really enjoyed this one. It was definitely in the spirit of what we've talked about before. And I think it's a great introduction to magical thinking as a thing. Uh, which we're going to be tackling in the year ahead. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, well, this is all unintended consequences, but you're doing the trappings of magical ritual, and it's yeah. just one of those things where it's like, you, you don't fuck with that shit, even if it's... Yeah. Even if it's not intentional.
0: Yeah, no. Magic is dangerous. Not because you're going to curse yourself and turn yourself into a newt, but you will drive yourself insane. Mm-hmm. So you have to be really careful. Well, you decide to do magic.
2: I, I, I think, and of course I think not because it's real, but it's because if you start believing that it's like anything, if you do, if you do it's like anything, a placebo. yeah, if you do it, it's like the opposite of a placebo. If you do something and expect results, but then the results don't happen. So you just keep doing things to, you know, and expecting those results. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the, uh, doing the same thing over and over again and, you know, getting...
0: And expecting different results. is, is right. you no know,
2: insanity. That's, you know, you're just driving yourself insane. Oh, yeah.
3: Well, and then also, Not, like, yeah. it's a confidence thing, you know, because the, the people who, are, who who believe in these rituals, they also do other things in their lives which enable them to achieve results. And they aren't always the results yeah. they're looking for. I mean, look at Elon Musk getting Twitter. But, like, <laughs> a, again, there's just something about, like, the, for the people who truly believe in this, there is a kind of reality-warping power. And it's not like woo-woo. Right. It's more, you know... Well, it's it's like visualization.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, confidence in psyching up, you know, right. exercises or, you know, small-R
0: rituals. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's something Henry Zabrowski talked about with Chaos Magic one time I want to bring up here because mm-hmm. it sort of relates. He was talking about how uh, he wanted to land a role on network television, like on Heroes Reborn. And he did. But what he mm-hmm. did was he said, I did a, cha- I did a Chaos Magic ritual, <clears throat> and then I went out and did the work. And I'm like, well, you could have just gone out and done the work. You just added steps. Mm-hmm. But... I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's something to make you feel like you're 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 doing the secret thing to get it done. Wearing
2: wearing the uh, your special lucky underwear. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, stuff like that. Or like yeah, no, a good luck charm, shit like that. Yeah. But uh my final thought on this is, it's funny, after reading this, it kind of gave me hope in the world again that this kind of shit can actually happen. So, fuck, the world's a lot more fun than, than I, I I have been thinking it was for a while. Hmm. So, I feel better. I feel much better than I did at the end of the Saturn Death Cult.
3: Well, that Well, That's good, because you were not doing well after the Saturn no. Death Cult.
0: No, I feel good about this now. Yeah. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. It's a little bit different, but uh, you know, we're trying to do different things that are fun. Mm-hmm. Can't all
2: be about aliens and
0: Bigfoot. Yep. Pretty much. And we're gonna, we're gonna keep expanding them horizons. No true crime. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, unless uh, it's
3: adjacent, unless it's adjacent to like shit. Like, yeah, it's talking.
0: gotta be murder Bigfoot or murder ghosts.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Or it, it could be like some dude shooting up his family because they think they're aliens. Yeah
0: okay sure that's yeah, yeah i guess maybe family annihilator
3: true. is coming soon
0: maybe oh, a, God. <laughs> maybe, a,
2: maybe a little true crime if you're if you're good
0: <laughs> a little bit a little bit of true crimes okay but um thank you <laughs> well, everyone for listening it's never okay kevin <laughs> I, well, you, I meant as a topic not as like you know a thing to do on a, a little, thursday because you're bored. a little
3: true crime is a tr- is okay as a treat sometimes
2: yeah, if Kevin, if you need a little true
0: crime to uh, to feel better about yourself, you just go ahead, sweetie. Oh, thank you, Mike. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, again, if you want to learn more about the show or contact us or join our community on the Discord or look into our zine that's coming up next year, head to supernatpod.rocks. You can contact us there and find links to all the fun stuff. David, do you have anything you want to plug?
3: Um. Yeah. You know what? Hit me up on uh, Mastodon. Uh, that is h p k o m i c at horrorhub.club. You can also find me on Blue Sky as h p k o m i c. Uh, I've been posting a lot of shit about role playing games lately. Um.
0: So that's fun. okay. Uh.
3: But yeah. Yeah. No. Go ahead and follow me. It's fun.
0: Yeah. It's fun. It's fun, fuckers. <laughs> and you can find our uh, the show's uh, social media over on supernatpod at weirdo.network <laughs> so, uh, and you'll find links to our individual uh, accounts in the bio so good way to find all of us so again thank you everyone for listening and uh, we will see you next week with an, let's see next week is Christmas yeah. We're going to do a weekend weird, but it's going to be very Christmas themed. We're going to talk about Christmas conspiracies and such. I've,
2: I've come well, up with a, a new Christmas conspiracy theory today.
0: Okay. So we'll talk about that next week. So David. Yeah. And then
3: our first episode of the year is going to be about frogs. Finally.
0: And it's the first one. All three of us will be contributing to. Right, Mike. <laughs> you're, sure. You're bringing the frog facts. <laughs> Sure, like the real ones.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're just okay. gonna have little, little like I'll have a little jingle. Gonna, Mike comes in. Frog fact time.
0: The the frog elevating moment. <laughs> just gonna hear shit. Was this about frogs? <laughs> shit,
2: what? The chemicals Google in frogs the water, right, turn right now.
0: <laughs> Turning the frogs
2: gay. I got Google frogs. <laughs> wow, stuff, last well, I've been minute.
0: talking so much, it killed my voice. Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. So until then, stay safe and stay frosty. Goodbye. <coughs> Kevin died. This has killed me. Goddamn. Good night. Good night. David. Mm. Mm. Mm
3: open fire in a crowded theater with lights <laughs> no, Do it. we cannot Do it. on that
0: this is Fuckers. the second
3: episode where I've given really really bad dangerous advice
0: yes it is